broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown. It's the Eat of Rocks radio show. Son Edom. Have you ever been asked the question, or perhaps maybe you're the one asking the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or maybe on a broader scale, why does God allow evil to exist? Would not a loving God want to protect his creation and keep them from evil? It's also a subject that has kept many people from experiencing a relationship with God. One might say that I only want to follow a God that is loving and kind And my God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. My God would not allow evil to exist. Here to help shed light on the subject is Dr. Clay Jones. He is an associate professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University and the author of the book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. Dr. Jones, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because one of the biggest questions I get when talking with people is, how can a loving God... And people even go on to say, you know, I could believe in God, but how does a loving God allow bad things happen to good people? And this seems to be one of the toughest questions to answer or concepts to explain because people just have a hard time believing that a loving God would allow bad things to happen. Any thoughts on that? Indeed. Yeah, oh, sure. Absolutely. Indeed, that is the that is one of the biggest questions, if not the biggest question. And, and I know you're teaching at the college level and, and you I'm sure you're going to hear that all the time, because that's, that's just such a huge question. Uh, and I think there are, I think this might surprise a lot of your listeners, that I think there's intelligent answers, uh, and not only intelligent answers, I think there's compelling answers for all of these things. And I think one of the first things is, is you know, just wh- how did it occur that evil entered our world? And... Uh, and and people some people are going to object to this but if you're asking for the christian explanation uh the christian explanation to how all the evil entered our world is because adam and eve sinned and so yes i'm definitely saying that god created uh, people uh and it wasn't from the goo through the zoo to you uh that god actually created people i think that there's logical reason to believe that god created evil and that God created Adam and Eve, and that Adam and Eve sinned. And that has led us into the problems that we are, many of the problems, not all of them, but many of the problems that we're facing today are because of that. And so when Adam and Eve, living in the garden, had a a perfect world going for them, and then you ate of the fruit, and the fall happened, and they sinned, and then the world kind of became a corruptible place, I guess you could say that then God changed things at that moment, and even though he's in control of everything, sometimes the world that we live in also kind of takes control of what we do, too. Well, it really does. And I'll, I think the thing is, we need to look at several things here. Uh, the First of all, you know, because th- that's the big question. So, but why are we suffering for Adam and Eve's sin? Okay, so they sin, but why are we suffering for it? Why are we suffering for the sin that some couple committed long ago? Uh, several things about that. First of all, they're not just some couple that lived long ago. Uh, they are our parents, they are our first parents, our original parents, and they sinned. And when they sinned and rebelled against God, God then did a couple of things. One is he cursed uh, the ground, he cursed planet Earth, and when he cursed planet Earth, uh, what kind of physical ailments, what kind of cancers or diseases cannot been enabled by God looking at planet Earth and saying, I curse you? Uh, so natural evil results, many of us uh, uh, 
believe, most of us, I think, in fact, believe that natural evil is the result of God cursing the planet Earth. And and then he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And when he kicked them out of the uh, Garden of Eden, he removed them from the rejuvenating power of the Tree of Life. And so then everybody began to die. So we live in a world that's cursed, and we live in a world that everyone's uh, going to die. Now, one more aspect about this that's important is people say, well, but still, so my, let's just, even if they grant that our original parents sinned long ago, why on earth should we uh, suffer for their sin? Well, part of the thing is, they're, as I mentioned, first of all, they're not just some, our parents. In fact, I'm going to take it a step further. Uh, We are Adam's and Eve's, because once Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed the ground and kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, then they had kids. And we are the reproductions, and here's key word, we are the sexual reproductions of Adam and Eve. And I ask people all the time, where did you get your consciousness from? Well, you got it from your parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents. Well, see, and think about it, that's true, even if Christianity isn't true, that's true. Where would you get your consciousness from? Somehow the sperm and the egg gets together and creates a being with consciousness. We got our consciousness from Adam and Eve. We got our souls from Adam and Eve. And so in that sense, we're a whole bunch of little Adam and Eves running around. And indeed, uh, we're acting like our parents are acting. And, uh, and so that explains a lot of the mess that we're in. And that kind of just validates the fact that there's a lot of inherited things in us that have come down from even back to Adam and Eve's day. You bet. We have inherited a fallen nature, and, and unfortunately, we're also inheriting diseases. Uh, for, re- for instance, right now, I'm having knee problems. It seems to run in the family. Uh, my brother and sister both have had knee problems and so on. But we, the, unfortunately, as the years go by, the genetic influence of a cursed ground is, is harsh on us, and we as beings suffer because of it. Which really kind of makes it fascinating to think just how much connected we are together as a human uh, species throughout the annals of time. Well, it does. I think that's one of the big things is we want to see ourselves as not being connected to each other, really. Uh, and that's one of the hardest things is people want to see each other as individ- see ourselves as individually stamped units. I'm not you. You're not me. Uh, I'm my own. You. I'm my own individual. You're uh, and you're your own. Uh, and sure, that's true, but we're a lot more connected than we think we are. We really are all related to each other. And uh, so, yeah, there is there's there is a unity uh, in humankind. In fact, the Old Testament, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, the word for man in the Old Testament is the word Adam. And so we've changed it to, you know, modern and English translation changes it to man, but somebody reading it in Hebrew was reading the word Adam all the time. One of the things that I guess people have a hard time with. I understand, you know, we live in this broken, fallen world. Disease is going to come up. Um, You know, you've got cancers and you've got other things that uh, people fall ill to and then eventually die. And even though it's still kind of confusing as to why, we kind of understand that that's a part of life. Um, People go off to war and unfortunately they might not come back. And again, it's not comforting to know that that happened, but we kind of understand it's a product of, of war. But one of the hardest things that people have a hard time understanding is, uh, for example, we just got done celebrating a uh, 30th anniversary, a 30th anniversary of a friend of mine who passed away back in high school at the age of 17. And he was just driving home late one night after a high school basketball game. And there might have been some slippery road conditions and, um, you know, ended up in an accident and it took his life. 
And I remember at the funeral, Dr. Uh, Lloyd Ogilvy was saying that sometimes we go outside the bounds of natural laws, and that's just what happens. But um, when you look at a child or you look at someone who's young, who has their life ahead of them, you know, we've got St. Jude Hospital, we've got, you know, Children's Hospital Los Angeles, Children's Hospital Orange County with uh, sick children. That's one thing I think that really makes it difficult for people to understand is how does that happen to these innocent children? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. The first one is, I'll go back, and this I think we've already covered, but one of the biggest things is, of course, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's disease and, and uh, there's cancers and hardships. Uh, but here's, here's perhaps one of the biggest things that people don't think about when it comes to God allowing the death of children. Because people will, or, or, or harm coming to children, people will ask me all the time, why did God let seven-year-old Kaylee die of cancer? Or why did God let nine-year-old Braden get hit by a car while he was roller skating and die? Why, did, why does he do that? And, but just to take the case of Kaylee, I say, well, it's not, I'll ask them in reply, I'll say, it's not just Kaylee, right? You don't think that God should let other children die of cancer, do you? And the answer to that, 100% of the time, it's never failed, is no, of course God shouldn't let any child die of cancer. I say, well, it's not just cancer, right? You don't think children, God should allow children to die of other diseases, do you? 100%. I, you know, ask any of you, if you, those of listening, give it a try. 100% of the time, um, uh, people will say, no, of course children shouldn't die from other diseases. And I'll say, it's not just disease, right? You don't think children should be killed in car accidents, do you, or maimed, or raped, or murdered, right? And 100%, of course, 100%, they'll always say, of course God shouldn't allow children to be die in car accidents, or be maimed, or raped, or, or whatever horrible thing that come upon them. And I keep pressing this for a while, and then I'll say, so to what age do you think children should be indestructible? At that point, most people laugh because they realize that indestructible children is just ridiculous. And I wrote an article, by the way, and it's in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil? But I, you can find the article if you Google, Why Did God Let That Child Die? where I go through the reasons here. But uh, how, do you, how would God create indestructible children? Do you want even indestructible children, to what age should they be indestructible? One woman blurted 12, but that falls apart immediately. Then what, all of a sudden when a child turns 13, they can be raped and murdered, and we're going to be okay with that? See, here's a major, major principle that I, I, is something that people need to think about. Natural laws must work in regular ways, or our actions aren't going to mean anything at all. Otherwise, if natural laws didn't work in regular ways, you could have Bobby cutting his steak next to his brother Billy with a steak knife, and he takes a steak knife and he jabs it into Billy's side, and the, the knife immediately turns to rubber, and the whole family laughs. Uh, well, that, God could make a world like that, but that's not a real world. That's a cartoon world. That's a wily coyote, uh, roadrunner coyote, uh, cartoon world in a real world. Natural laws must work in regular ways. And so I ask, atheists ask me all the time this kind of question. I say, how, can, how do you want God, to, how could God create a world uh, and significantly reduce or eliminate all the evil we suffer and, take, and still allow us to have free will? And I never really get atheists, they, they, what they basically do is they'll all of a sudden go agnostic. Well, I don't know. Uh, I debated a professor in England at the University of Leeds, and he says, uh, from the University of Leeds, and he says, well, I'm not the divine being. Well, if you can't think of a way for God to radically reduce the amount of evil, 
that there is in the world uh, uh, without taking away free will? Maybe it's because there really isn't a way of doing it. And so God is using this world to teach us to be responsible. How could God make it, for instance, that uh, a, a parent's driving along drunk or talking on their cell phone and gets into an accident? How does he stop that from hurting all children all the time? <clears throat> so whenever anybody brings up one example, you know, I always point out, well, it's not just one example, is it? It's not like you're just concerned about that 17-year-old or you're just concerned about one child who has cancer. You don't think this should happen to anyone. And, of course, the answer is no, of course I don't. Well, again... Uh, natural laws must work in regular ways if our actions are going to mean anything. And this God has made put us into a universe that is real, and we need to respond to this real world appropriately. There is good news about children, and most, uh, though, most Christian theologians believe that, that uh, uh, children will be saved. They may disagree on the mechanism that that happens. They may disagree on the age that that happens. But most Christian theologians and even apologists agree that most ch the children will be saved. And so there is, there is an encouraging word there. Dr. Clay Jones, Associate Professor of Christian Apologetics at Biola University, joining us. He's also the author of the book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. And I think you just hit on something there that a lot of people don't, I guess, miss out on. We dwell on the sadness and the loss, which is natural and normal. But if you just, what you said, you know, with theologians believing and, and uh, people believing that these children are going to be saved and go to heaven, there is on that flip side a, a positive outcome from it, you know. Um, I know people like to throw around God works all things together for good or he doesn't give you more than you can uh, handle. And I think sometimes that just becomes, uh, you know, uh, a, a token statement for people to say while they're uh, approaching somebody that might be struggling. But there is some some good news to that for uh, for believers to know that there will be a time again where these children will be seen again. Well, yes, exactly. I think that, uh, as I said, most Christian theologians think that children will be saved. I certainly do. Uh, I think that, that Scripture does teach an age of accountability. Jesus said in Matthew 18, Bless the little children, let them come up, uh, come unto me, for of such belongs the kingdom of God. And, you know, theologians ask, if children, in what sense could children not be saved if the kingdom of God belongs to them? And what, what, what would that mean? Now, it is true there is no scripture that unambiguously teaches that children will be saved, uh, but I think God has good reasons for not making that unambiguous, because that would radically change parenting. I, I mean, if, for instance, could you imagine if you knew that your child would be definitely saved until they turned 10 years old? When they were nine, I would encourage my child to go free climbing, uh, because, hey, you know, if they die, then I know I'll see them in heaven forever uh, before they get the chance to reject Jesus. Uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, anyway, abortion would be doing children a favor. So God may have very good reason for not making it unambiguous uh, that children will be saved, but he certainly does hint in Scripture, he does, I think, suggest in that passage that I just mentioned, that children will be saved, and so that is good news, and we are going to see them again. So we, we have these events that happen, you know, a friend coming home late from a basketball game on a Friday night, and he gets in a car accident, passes away, someone gets sick, uh, we have all these events that happen, and so there's a reason behind it with these natural laws or other things. But the the fall of Adam and Eve, did that usher in or open up this idea that evil just exists and that's just it? There's no rhyme or reason. you just bad luck because this happened to you. Yeah, well, they, you know, people uh, think that. That's not 
the Christian position, evil happens because Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and we inherited their sinful nature, and we are living in a world that's cursed by God. Uh, and this results in something that people need to get in their minds. There's a cosmic lesson here. If you go, well, this is just all so horrible. There's a cosmic lesson, and I think it points to what's going on for all eternity. God is trying to teach us the horror of rebellion against him. God is trying to teach us the horror of sin. And this is an important lesson, and it's an important lesson even to, you know, that, that for, our, for our eternity, that sin is stupid. And God is teaching us here that sin is stupid. Don't do it. So the notion that evil exists without a point or purpose, or that evil just exists for the sake of evil, that would be a false premise then to, uh, to go on. Well, evil's not a—right. Evil is not a thing. There's not a blob in the universe somewhere that, you know, we could identify and go, that's evil. Evil results from a misuse of the will, that people use their free will wrongly. Now, God has punished people, and he's punished basically the race of Adam and Eve uh, for their rebellion against him, uh, but, and that has resulted in suffering and death. But, but evil is not a thing. It's, like I say, moral evil is a result of the misuse of the free will. Uh, natural evil, when we're talking about tsunamis and earthquakes and death by natural causes, natural that is the result of us living in a cursed world and we, where we no longer have access to the tree of life. I have to insert here immediately, but in Jesus, of course, people can live forever. So that seems to be a fallacy that people like to look at an object or a thing as evil <clears throat> as opposed to it's ourselves that's making this the evil thing. Well, that, yeah, I think that's right. There is no object, there is no thing in the universe. I, I don't, there's no Christian theologians that believe that evil's a thing. Evil is the result of the misuse of the will. And because, like, again, because Adam and Eve misused their will, God kicked them out of the garden and cursed the ground, which has enabled all the natural evils that we now suffer. So then where does the, the free will fit into this for us? I mean, we have people that, you know, are... You can look at uh, pastors and people that are serving God, they're doing well, uh, they're living, they're, uh, you know, God's calling, and yet still things, bad things happen to them. Well, you know, I mean, uh, a couple of things. Let me just say, first of all, people, when it comes to, because people want to say, yeah, well, why, is, why are bad things happening to all these good people? And I'm going to say something that will be shocking and offensive, but I'd be glad to debate anywhere, uh, anyone on this that's a responsible person. There aren't any good people. Uh, there isn't even one. Uh, the scripture in uh, Romans 3.20 says, no one does good, no, not one. But let me, here's what's, what I bring to this, it's a little different. I've studied genocide now for the last uh, 25 years. I've been studying genocide, all the genocides. I've been studying them Thoroughly, I've read one genocide uh, after uh, about one genocide after another. Genocide researchers, genocide uh, survivors, every genocide researcher, every single one of them to a person, and I document a lot of this in my book. Every genocide researcher to a person agrees that it's the average member of a population, the ordinary member of a population, that commits genocide. That's what average ordinary people do; they commit genocide. Not only does that, is that true of any, every genocide researcher, it's also true of every genocide victim, even victims like, Ale uh, like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who suffered eight years in the Soviet gulag, 
and Elie Wiesel, who was an Auschwitz survivor, all of them agree, everyone to a person, uh, I can get intense about this, agrees that it's the average member of a population that commits genocide. In other words, there's something desperately wrong with humankind. Human, humans are not good. There are, no out, there are no good people. Now, you can be an outwardly good person, but what you have, what an outwardly good person, of course, is committing adultery in their heart and fantasizing about having sex with people, with people they're not married to, and they're, they're uh, hating people, and the scripture says, who hates his brother is a murderer. And I always ask, if you hate somebody, why don't you murder them? Well, it's not because you care for the person, right? It's because you, uh, you hate, because we've already established that you hate them. Well, why don't you murder them? Well, it's self-interest, right? Uh, you don't want to go to prison. You don't want to lose your job and your family and your freedom and on and on and on, and maybe even your life. But see, people are not committing, people that are fantasizing about adultery but aren't actually doing it, and people who are fantasizing about killing others or just hating their guts but aren't actually taking action to make that happen, they're adulterous murderers, but they're not acting it out. Uh, and those people that are adulterous murderers inwardly but aren't acting it out, those are the people that we say we call good people. Jesus just simply doesn't see it that way. See, I think that goes against popular thought, too, where, you know, when you talk about the Holocaust, Hitler is the monster that created this but yet the individuals were the ones acting it out. So it really isn't the monster over there. It's the monster within us that has the capability of doing these things. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Uh, and uh, as, as one fellow whose family, or most of his family were killed in the Holocaust, put it, he says, the, the terrible lesson of the Holocaust is not that it can happen, it's that we could do it. That was Bauman, by the way. Zygmunt Bauman said that. Uh, and I could quote, Elie Wiesel said, uh, uh, perpetrator, spectator, victim, uh, we're all three at once. Now, and Elie Wiesel himself survived uh, the Auschwitz. I mean, I, I challenge anybody that's listening to this, you won't find a genocide researcher, you won't find a genocide victim that doesn't say, this is what average, ordinary members of a population do. And that tells us there's something desperately wrong with humankind. Is that why, you know, today we've got, uh, in, in politics, we've got, you know, these laws that are coming out with abortion. You mentioned abortion earlier. And people are sitting there thinking, for example, the governor of uh, Virginia, how can a post-birth abortion be okay? I mean, that's something that a monster would do. But it's going back to, really, the heart of what you're talking about here is that it's in us, and, and we, are, we are capable of that type of thing. Well, I, I think that people need to look, see, what we've done with abortion is we've, for, in a lot of people's minds, is they've sanitized it. It's not really a baby. It's just a clump of cells. In fact, I had a friend when I first started teaching this years ago come up to me, and she says, you know, the other examples, because I give lots of examples of genocide and how average people perpetrated them, <clears throat> she says, the other examples really make your case. She says, but don't use abortion because most people don't think it is wrong, and it weakens your case, it weakens your point. And my response to that is, but that's my point. See, what we do is we have, think about this, we have suction scraped, and Americans have suction scraped or scalded to death over 60 million children since 1973, and we look at people doing genocide in other countries and go, they're so bad. You know, and I'll tell you, the judgment comes, friends, because people that sit there and endorse, encourage uh, those to get, have babies suctioned, scraped, and scalded to death, look out, folks. That's trouble. 
And, that, and it tells you something about humankind that, that a majority of Americans keeps this legal, because I believe me, if a majority of Americans was opposed to it, it would be gone. <clears throat> so it really does become an issue of the heart then. It does. It's exactly. Yes, on exactly. It's a precisely an issue of the heart. We want to say people are good if we don't see them doing outwardly bad things. Jesus says it's an issue of the heart. And by the way, people will bring up, well, you can be a really good non-Christian, though. Like, and they'll bring up Gandhi. Gandhi was not a good person. Gandhi went to bed naked with his nieces every single night. The only time Gandhi interrupted going to bed naked with his nieces is when he was going to bed with other men's wives, uh, even, his, even in one case his relative's wife. He went to bed naked with her. Uh, now, you know, so... so Gandhi was not a good person, and a lot of people go, well, I never heard that. Well, Google it, and uh, because people need to understand the truth about these things. You cannot be, there are no good people. We all need to say, just as I am without one plea, and come to Jesus in that regard. And, and the only people that really are capable of coming to Jesus are those who realize that they are desperate sinners. And you mentioned desperate sinners. That's what we all are. There is hope, though, in all this. We've got this evil inside of us that, that comes out, whether we act on it, or we don't act on it, it's still within us. But there is hope, because God can come in and take that from us. That's right. We can be born again. Absolutely. Uh, you need to be born again. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you can, you can be inwardly changed. A Christian can become inwardly changed. We were all born, every one of us, me, everybody else, we were all born desperate sinners. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that I still don't commit a lot of sin. I do. But we can be born again, and we can be changed from the inside, and that's what we need to do, is be changed so that our hearts are no longer, you know, just simply the, the souls from Adam and Eve. So life here on Earth is, uh, is short in, in the, the scheme of things. We're terminal. We're all going to die unless God comes back again. Um, but we focus a lot of things here on this fallen Earth. Should our focus be more towards on what we can do for eternal life and how we act uh, here on Earth today? Uh, you sh yes, absolutely. In fact, I think eternity is the point. I, I encourage your listeners to think about something. If, if Christianity is true, then, we, then Christianity promises eternal life. In fact, John 3.16, 3, the most famous verse in the Bible, ends with, shall not perish, but have eternal life. If that isn't true, then Christianity is a false religion. And, of course, I would argue that Jesus is raised from the dead, but that's a topic for another, another conversation. I teach in defense of the resurrection at Biola in our master's, Talbot in our master's program. But anyway, uh, but if Christianity isn't true, Christianity is a false religion, we should do something else. If it is true, you're going to live forever. Now think about it. Here's how it relates to the problem of evil. If Christianity is true, if you're really going to live forever and ever and ever and ever, then eternity will dwarf our suffering here to insignificance. And I cannot state enough the, the importance of that, that if Christianity is true, I'll say it one more time, Christ eternal life will dwarf our suffering here to insignificance if you're really going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And, and so we ha and, and in Christ, we actually have the chance to be reunited with, you know, loved ones who've turned their lives over to Christ. We can be reunited with them and enjoy them and the creator of the universe forever and ever and ever. 
And boy, there's so much to say about this, but, but that is the Christian hope. And we need, and so often when people talk about the problem of evil, they address it as if it were only a problem going on planet Earth for, let's face it, compared to eternity, a minuscule amount of time. And I think you hit that point right on the head because that's that's a hard concept for people to understand. It's hard to understand because we're such a live-in-the-now moment. It's hard to look long-term into a eternal long-term uh, plan. You know, it sure is. In fact, my, my the book I've just sent the manuscript off to the publisher on, um, it's coming out, it's called Immortal, uh, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. The trouble is, is everybody, I guarantee you all of your listeners are afraid of death. The only way you cannot be afraid of death is to have a robust appreciation of the fact that you're going to live forever and ever. Other than that, everyone is afraid of death. But again, Jesus promises in John 3.16, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is our hope, and, and we need to get... But even m- most Christians are busy busying themselves about living the American dream, and they think that's what God wants. He wants us to live the American dream and have, a couple, have two or three or four kids and get married and have great careers and make a lot of money. And, but the Lord isn't interested in that. He's interested in conforming us to the image of Christ so that we will be fit inheritors of his kingdom, which he intends to give us, as, uh, as Luke, it says, Jesus said in Luke, fear not, little flock, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give us the kingdom forever and ever. And that's what this life is about. So uh, we need to get our, change our perspective, as it says in Colossians 3, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, as it says in First Peter, to set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed, we need to do that. And if you do that, then the entire universe makes more sense. Dr. Clay Jones, Associate Professor of Christian Apologetics at Biola University, joining us. He is also the author of the book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. You mentioned eternal life. If there's somebody listening that uh, may not be a Christian, may not believe in God because bad things happen to good people and a loving God just doesn't do that. Um, what would you, what would you share with them? How could you share uh, the salvation message with someone like that? You know, it, that great, great question. And, and I'm glad to mention that in closing, but you know, of course I've mentioned now several times, the end of John three sixteen. let me re- quote the rest of the verse for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, you know, you to speaking to your listeners if you're not a christian you're not a good person and you need to come to grips with that because that's the first step if you think you're a good person then you're never you're going to think christianity is just so much silly talk that that jesus was you know dying on the cross was just divine child abuse but once you realize that you are not a good person and you are not uh, the, then that person needs is ready to come to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm not a good person, and I need to t- trust Jesus because Jesus really did die on the cross for my sins, and he really was raised from the dead. We have extra-biblical evidence for this. We know extra-biblically that, that the disciples gave their lives because of their belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, and so uh, people need to come to Jesus, and they need to trust in his work on the cross, and again, I emphasize, and his being raised from the dead, and if they do that, then they can have life forever. And for those that might have experienced loss here on earth, 
and have that question wondering why. There is hope. There is hope of glory. There is hope of eternal life, like you mentioned. And that's what we really need to focus on, because if we focus on the here and now, it will drive us crazy. We've got to focus on on the future and the future hope that God has provided for us. We absolutely do. As da- philosopher uh, Dallas Willard, who passed away a few years ago, uh, USC philosopher Dallas Willard put it, human life is not about human life. Uh, human life is about, as I said, being conformed to the image of Christ. We are going to see our loved ones again if we are in Jesus, and they are in Jesus. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think children t- <laughs> will see children in heaven with us. Um, this is this is all about you. You don't don't focus on this life. Focus on the fact that you have eternity. This life, though, really grabs us, right? Because it's what we can see. But the beginning of faith, as it says in Hebrews, is he who comes to God must believe two things: must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So let us all seek Jesus and turn our lives over to him. And if we do this, then we're all going to have eternal life together. Dr. Clay Jones, Associate Professor of Christian Apologetics at Biola University. Your your book, uh, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions can be found at the usual spots like Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, Definitely a good read if you have uh, more questions about this topic, because I know it's a topic that comes up a lot with people is uh, why does good things or uh, why does bad things happen to good people? I always like to spin it around and say, well, why does good things happen to bad people? But I guess that's really not a good answer. Uh, I don't know. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, you mentioned uh, a new manuscript. Uh, when's when's your next uh, book coming out? Well, I think my next book's coming out in late this year. Uh, like I said, just sent it off to the publisher, and it'll be entitled uh, Immortal, uh, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What to Do About It. And uh, so, uh, because we're all haunted by the fear of death, but again, Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life with him. Now that's going to be an absolutely a must-read because that is a fear for all of us, is death. Clay, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and just uh, your thoughts on this topic, and uh, we just can't thank you enough for coming on and being a part of it with us. A pleasure to be with, uh, with you, son. Dr. Clay Jones.